Got to slow the preacher's roll this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died in sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death of that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. Reading the scripture reading this morning and the song that we've just sung lays out a life that is totally different than what we sometimes find within the world. And not just the physical world, but a world that claims to have some knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Been around a lot of people who claim to have a relationship with God, who claim to have forgiveness of their sins, but who have made it very plain either by the lifestyle that they live or by the words that they express that they do not believe that one needs to die to self and to sin that there is no correlation between a verbal confession that they may have made and a life that they are indeed to live for the cause of Christ. We could just take the words of the song and deeply apply them within our life. What a difference it will make in what we do. I mentioned before, I've got relatives who believe that once they have allowed the words Jesus Christ to cross their lips, that they have eternal salvation and it has no relationship to what they do here on this earth. They are free to live their life however they wish to live it and whatever degradation that they choose to abide in that has nothing to do with their eternal salvation. It's not what Paul is discussing here in the Roman letter. 
He is addressing this problem of sin. And as he would read the first two chapters, two and a half chapters of Romans, you can see of how he demonstrates that all have sin. Comes out in chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Particularly in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, Paul very plainly brings out the fact that the Gentiles, or those who were not under the law of Moses, have no excuse that they know from creation that there is a God. And three times there in that chapter are those haunting verses in 24, 26, and 28. God gave them up. God gave every hope that they could have. They gave every indication that he is, that he desires a relationship with man. And man has chosen to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, has chosen to live in rebellion to God, has chosen to refuse to acknowledge that he is a God and that his will is to be obeyed within this life. He spends the next two and a half chapters declaring how we can be justified through faith in Christ Jesus. But again, how many miss what's involved in hearing those words found in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into the grace which has been in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God through, and again, an individual really needs to take that time to reflect on those next three words. Lord Jesus Christ. If a person has any understanding of what those words mean collectively and individually, how could one conclude that the one who came to this earth from heaven, the one who lived on this earth despised by man, rejected by man, crucified on a cruel cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, raised again that third day, ascended back to the Father. How could one believe that they can call him Lord or Master and not do what he says? Jesus referred to that in Luke 6 and verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And yet again, there are countless millions of people who simply believe that the, of the words the Lord Jesus Christ has crossed their lips. They are safe and secure for eternity, and they can continue to live a life however they choose to believe. In fact, they believe and, uh, and oftentimes practice that once those words have crossed their lips, they're free. They do, not have to have any they do not have any obligation to God or to Christ or to his body which he purchased with his blood. They can continue a life in sin, in rebellion to God, and that in the end 
God will ultimately save them. His name is Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins. Again in 3.23 of Romans, all have sinned. So all need to be saved from their sins. How can you believe that he came, what he went through, what he taught, what he believed, what he practiced, has no application to them in their life? Do we sometimes fall into that as well? We gather around what we call the Lord's table. We gather around to partake of emblems that do remind us of the fact that he came he lived, he died, he rose, again, he rose again, and one day he's coming again. How can we acknowledge that and feel that we are free to live a life as we so choose, regardless of what God has taught in his life? That he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one promised from eternity that would be the redeemer of mankind. He's for all of humanity. He gave his life for all of humanity. And there is a day of reckoning. Paul will get over in Romans 6 and verse 23 and remind us that the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned. The wages of those sin is death, eternal separation. It simply is, who will pay the price for those sins? We can do that individually, in rejection of God and Christ and what he's done, and that's eternal separation from God. Or we can accept that sacrifice as being paid through the blood of Jesus Christ. But as a result of that, there is indeed a life that is to be lived. We live in a land that wants absolute freedom to do whatever they wish to do with no restrictions placed upon them. And even in this land, they have totally forgotten what freedom means. Totally forgotten what it cost for us to have freedom as a nation. The cost of physical life and all that goes along with it. In a few days, we're going to celebrate the 4th of July. And for the most part in that celebration of the 4th of July, there is very little reference to what actually took place. Very little concern over that continued cost, the loss of human lives to preserve our freedom as a people. And how many times do we do the same thing spiritually? How many times do we actually forget that cost? Or we think about it briefly as we partake of the Lord's Supper. But do we honestly give thought to the fact that the Son of the living God did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped, but was willing to empty himself and to take on the form of a servant. 
And how many times do we battle against our being a servant? How many times do we struggle with that desire to surrender individuality and desires to the will of another? Jesus did when he came to this earth. He gave up that equality with God. He was willing to be a servant. And again, I'm reminded as I think about that servanthood of Christ, of reading John 13, to see what a servant was willing to do. To take on the lowliest of tasks out of washing feet. To take on the lowliest of tasks to wash the feet of the one who would betray him that would lead to his crucifixion. And he did it because he loved. He did it because he so desired that those who bear his image in a spiritual sense could find redemption from transgressions of sins. And how many times do we think that if I sin, I can just simply confess that sin and God will forgive me? With no thought as to what is actually being asked of us. When I confess, it means to agree with, to acknowledge that the charge is true. When I confess sin, I'm confessing and acknowledging that I have transgressed the law of God. And that sentence is eternal punishment away from the presence of God. I'm acknowledging that. How can I acknowledge that? and not change? How can I not see any correlation with what's being asked of us? Again, in our freedom of a country or our freedom as individuals, we like to carry that over into the spiritual realm. I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do, go wherever I want to go. I've heard Christians say, well, come Friday night, I'm going to a party. And I know it's wrong to go to a party, but I'll just confess that on Sunday and I'll be clear. I'm not going to change. How can one state that they are not going to change in light of what Christ did for them? The change that he made in order that we could have that hope of eternal life. Can I continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul said, God forbid that we even think such a thing. How could we even think that we can continue in sin? As in the physical life, it's a growing process. It's a learning process. Sometimes it's being told over and over again, this is wrong, you cannot do that. 
In light of what God has done, you cannot continue that course of life. There must be a change. John would remind us in 1 John 1, 5 through 9, that we walk in the light as he's in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful concept. But notice how it begins. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. That does not leave room to live a life continually in sin, thinking this a simple confession will make it right. If we confess our sins, yes, God will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if I'm confessing that my sin deserves death, if I'm confessing that the blood of Jesus Christ will wash away those sins so that I could have that hope of eternal life, how can I not change that life? How can I not want to live closer to God? Pure in heart, Lord, help me to be. Help me to grow to that desire that I want to be with Him. We've died to sin. There's to be no attraction there. Satan's job is to make it alluring. It's appear like there is an attraction there. But if we have died to sin, we're not to continue in sin. And again, when I hear so many religious people to say, God really does not care how I live my life. I've acknowledged him as Savior, and I'm free to do as I wish. And it's sad when I hear Christians, those of the Lord's body, make similar statements. It really doesn't matter. But again, as the Lord's Supper does, for as often as you take this, do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. That reminder, you, as a child of God, have been washed in that blood of Christ, and it is your desire to be an imitator of God. That ought to affect the life we live. It ought to affect how we view the Lord's church. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 5 that Christ so loved the church that he gave himself for her. Christ so loved the church, which is his body, that he gave his life for her. How can I think lightly of this gathering together of the Lord's people? How can I think it doesn't make any difference whether I'm here or not? 
There is always something in the world, always something in the world that clamors for attention at the time that God's people assemble together to worship and to praise him. How can I let the thing of the world take priority over God? That freedom is not there. The freedom we have in Christ came at the blood, at the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been buried with him in baptism to be raised to walk in a new life. We've died. The old man has been put to death. We fight it every day, trying to put him to death. But we've been raised to walk this new life. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We are a new creation. There's no indication, so there's no way of knowing. There's no indication that a butterfly regrets not being the worm, the caterpillar. That change into a new creation. The new creation in no way resembles that old creation. And that new creation should have no desire of wanting the part of that old. Sin, it brings death. It brings separation. It brings eternal separation from God. We walk in a new life, a newness of life. And as in a newborn babe that is born into the physical world, it's a learning process. But it's such a joy. Watch the babies as they grow. Listen as, and watch them as they begin to do what? Imitate the parents and the others. I'm always amazed to watch adults interact with babies. They talk and look at ways that they normally do not as they talk to babies. But it's amazing to me as in any part of the physical creation, it's amazing to me that how a baby can learn to do things that they've never done before and to find joy in that. Is that true for you in the spiritual life? Is that true for you in the spiritual life? Learning things that you've never learned before. Learning words. Learning concepts. Learning actions. Learning attitudes that were not there before. And to find joy in that. The freedom that we have in Christ Jesus how deeply do we cherish it? And how deeply does it impact the life that we live?
just as I am. Hmm. But ever notice the, the change that has to take place? One can always come to Christ just as they are. But no one can remain in Christ just as they are. There has to be the change. There has to be that creation of a new life. So as you look at life this morning, where are you? It may be that you have not yet become a child of the living God and need to do that. Or it may be that as a child of God, you begin to let the world come back in and need to renew that life and that commitment to God once again. God is patient and long-suffering. His desire is that anyone who wants to may be able to come. Anyone who believes that he is and that Jesus is the Savior and are willing to repent of those sins and confess him as the Savior, obey him in baptism for the remission of sins, to be raised to walk that new life may be able to do such. Whereas a child of God has let the world back in to let Christ back in your life, to come just as you are, and he can make you as you ought to be. You'd be subject to that invitation. If we could assist you, if we could help you, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing. Good.